Section six of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume two, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the street sellers of Petticoat and Rosemary Lanes. Immediately connected with the trade of the Central Mart for old clothes are the adjoining streets of Petticoat Lane and those of the not very distant Rosemary Lane. In these localities is a second-hand garment seller at almost every stop, but the whole stock of these traders, decent, frowsy, half-rotten, or smart and good habiliments, has first passed through the channel of the exchange. The men who sell these goods have all bought them at the exchange, the exceptions being insignificant, so that this street sale is but an extension of the trade of the central mart, with the addition that the wares have been made ready for use. A cursory observation might lead an inexperienced person to the conclusion that these old clothes traders, who are standing by the bundles of gowns or lines of coats hanging from their doorposts, or in the place from which the window has been removed, or at the sides of their houses, or piled in the street before them, are drowsy people, for they seem to sit among their property lost in thought, or caring only for the fumes of a pipe. But let any one indicate, even by an approving glance, the likelihood of his becoming a customer, and see if there be any lack of diligence in business. Some, indeed, pertinaciously invite attention to their wares. Some, and often well-dressed women, leave their premises a few yards to accost a stranger pointing to a good dress coat, or an excellent frock coat. I am told that this practice is less pursued than it was, and it seems that the solicitations are now addressed chiefly to strangers. These strangers, persons happening to be passing, or visitors from curiosity, are at once recognised, for as in all not very extended localities, where the inhabitants pursue a similar calling, they are, as regards their knowledge of one another, as the members of one family. Thus a stranger is as easily recognised as he would be in a little rustic hamlet, where a strange face is not seen once a quarter. Indeed, so narrow are some of the streets and alleys in this quarter, and so little is there of privacy, owing to the removal in warm weather even of the casements, that the room is commanded in all its domestic details, and as among these details there is generally a further display of goods similar to the articles outside, the jammed-up places really look like a great family house, with merely a sort of channel, dignified by the name of a street, between the right and left suites of apartments. In one off-street, where on a Sunday there is a considerable demand for Jewish sweetmeats by Christian boys, and a little sly and perhaps not very successful gambling on the part of the ingenuous youth to possess themselves of these confectionaries at the easiest rate, there are some mounds of builders' rubbish upon which if an inquisitive person ascended, he could command the details of the upper rooms, probably the bedchambers, if in their crowded apartments these traders can find spaces for beds. It must not be supposed that old clothes are more than the great staple of the traffic of this district. Wherever persons are assembled, there are certain to be purveyors of provisions, and of cool or hot drinks for warm or cold weather. The interior of the old clothes exchange has its oyster stall, its fountain of ginger beer, its coffee-house, and ale-house, 
and a troop of peripatetic traders, boys principally, carrying trays. Outside the walls of the exchange, this trade is still thicker. A Jew boy thrusts a tin of highly grazed cakes and pastry under the people's noses here, and on the other side a basket of oranges regales the same sense by its proximity. At the next step, the thoroughfare is interrupted by a gaudy-looking ginger beer, lemonade, raspberry aid, and nectar fountain. A halfpenny a glass, a halfpenny a glass, sparkling lemonade, shouts the vendor as you pass. The fountain and the glasses glitter in the sun. The varnish of the woodwork shines. The lemonade really does sparkle, and all looks clean, except the owner. Close by is a brawny young Irishman, his red beard unshorn for perhaps ten days, and his neck, where it had been exposed to the weather, a far deeper red than his beard. And he is carrying a small basket of nuts, and selling them as gravely as if they were articles suited to his strength. A little lower is the cry in a woman's voice, Fish! Fried fish! Hapenny fish! Fried fish! And so monotonously and mechanically is it ejaculated, that one might think the seller's life was passed in uttering these few words, even as a rook's is in crying, Caw! Caw! Here I saw a poor Irishwoman, who had a child on her back, buy a piece of this fish, which may be had hot or cold, and tear out a piece with her teeth, and this with all the eagerness and relish of appetite or hunger, first eating the brown outside, and then sucking the bone. I never saw fish look firmer or whiter. That fried fish is to be procured is manifest to more senses than one, for you can hear the sound of its being fried, and smell the fumes from the oil. In an open window opposite, frizzle on an old tray, small pieces of thinly cut meat, with a mixture of onions, kept hot by being placed over an old pan containing charcoal. In another room, a mess of batter is smoking over a grate. Penny a lot, oysters, resounds from different parts. Some of the sellers command two streets by establishing their stalls or tubs at a corner. Lads pass, carrying sweet stuff on trays. I observed one very dark-eyed Hebrew boy chewing the hard bake he vended, if it were not a substitute, with an expression of great enjoyment. Heaped-up trays of fresh-looking sponge cakes are carried in tempting pyramids. Youths have stocks of large, hard-looking biscuits, and walk about crying, Hapney biscuits! Hapney! Three a penny biscuits! These, with a morsel of cheese, often supply a dinner or a luncheon. Dates and figs, as dry as they are cheap, constitute the stock in trade of other street sellers. Coconuts are sold in pieces and entire. The Jew boy, when he invites to the purchase of an entire nut, shaking it at the ear of the customer. I was told by a costermonger that these juveniles had a way of drumming with their fingers on the shell, so as to satisfy a green customer that the nut offered was a sound one. Such are the summer eatables and drinkables which I have lately seen vended in the Petticoat Lane district. In winter there are, as long as daylight lasts, and in no other locality perhaps does it last so short a time, other street provisions and, if possible, greater zeal in selling them, the hours of business being circumscribed. There is then the potato can, and the hot elder wine apparatus, and smoking pies and puddings, and roasted apples and chestnuts, and walnuts, and the several fruits which ripen in the autumn, 
apples, pears, and so on. Hitherto I have spoken only of such eatables and drinkables as are ready for consumption, but to these the trade in the Petticoat Lane district is by no means confined. There is fried fish, generally of the cheaper kinds, and smoked or dried fish, smoked salmon, moreover, is sold ready cooked, and costermongers' barrows, with their loads of green vegetables, looking almost out of place amidst the surrounding dinginess. The cries of, Fine cauliflowers! Large penny cabbages! Eight a shilling mackerel! Eels! Live eels! Mix strangely with the hubbub of the busier street. Other street sellers also abound. You meet one man who says mysteriously and rather bluntly, Buy a good knife, governor. His tone is remarkable, and if it attract attention, he may hint that he has smuggled goods, which he must sell anyhow. Such men, I am told, look out mostly for seamen, who often resort to Petticoat Lane, for idle men like sailors on shore, and idle, uncultivated men, often love to lounge where there is bustle. Pocket and pen-knives and scissors, penny a piece, penny a pair, rubbed over with oil, both to hide and prevent rust, are carried on trays and spread on stalls, some stalls consisting of merely a tea-chest lid on a stool. Another man, carrying perhaps a sponge in his hand, and well-dressed, asks you, in a subdued voice, if you want a good razor, as if he almost suspected that you meditated suicide and were looking out for the means. This is another ruse to introduce smuggled, or duffers, goods. Account books are hawked. Penny acquire, shouts the itinerant street stationer, who, if questioned, always declares he said, Penny half choir. Stockings, stockings, tuppence a pair. Here's your jewellery, penny a penny. Pick em and choose em. Note, I may remark that outside the window of one shop, or rather parlour, if there be any such distinction here, I saw the handsomest, as far as I am able to judge, and the best cheap jewellery I ever saw in the streets. End note. Pencils, sir, pencils, steel pens, steel pens, hitney, penny, pencils, steel pens, sealing wax, 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 shouts one. Green peas, hitney a pint, cries another. These things, however, are but the accompaniments of the main traffic. But as such things accompany all traffic, not on a small scale, and may be found in almost every metropolitan thoroughfare, where the police are not required by the householders to interfere, I will point out, to show the distinctive character of the street trade in this part, what is not sold and not encouraged. I saw no old books, there were no flowers, no music, which indeed could not be heard except at the outskirts of the din, and no beggars plying their vocation among the trading class. Another peculiarity pertaining alike to this shop and street locality is that everything is at the veriest minimum of price. Though it may not be asked, it will assuredly be taken. The bottle of lemonade, which is elsewhere a penny, is here a halfpenny. The tarts, which among the street sellers about the Royal Exchange are a halfpenny each, are here a farthing. When lemons are two a penny in St. George's Market, Oxford Street, as the long line of street stalls, towards the western extremity is called, they are three and four a penny in Petticoat and Rosemary Lanes. Certainly there is a difference in size between the dearer and the cheaper tarts and lemons, and perhaps there is a difference in quality also. 
but the rule of a minimised cheapness has no exceptions in this cheap trading quarter. But Petticoat Lane is essentially the old clothes district, embracing the streets and alleys adjacent to Petticoat Lane, and including the rows of old boots and shoes on the ground, there is perhaps between two and three miles of old clothes. Petticoat Lane, proper, is long and narrow, and to look down it is to look down a vista of many coloured garments, alike on the side and on the ground. The effect sometimes is very striking, from the variety of hues and the constant flitting, or gathering, of the crowd into little groups of bargainers. Gowns of every shade and every pattern are hanging up, but none perhaps look either bright or white. It is a vista of dinginess, but many-coloured dinginess, as regards female attire. Dress coats, frock coats, great coats, livery and gamekeeper's coats, paletots, tunics, trousers, knee breeches, waistcoats, capes, pilot coats, working jackets, plaids, hats, dressing gowns, shirts, guernsey frocks are all displayed. The predominant colours are black and blue, but there is every colour. The light drab of some aristocratic livery, the dull brown green of velveteen, the deep blue of a pilot jacket, the variegated figures of the shawl dressing gown, the glossy black of the restored garments, the shine of newly turpentined black satin waistcoats, the scarlet and green of some flaming tartan. These things, mixed with the hues of the women's garments, spotted and striped, certainly present a scene which cannot be beheld in any other part of the greatest city of the world, nor in any other portion of the world itself. The ground has also its array of colours. It is covered with lines of boots and shoes, their shining black relieved here and there by the admixture of female boots with drab, green, plum or lavender-coloured legs, as the upper part of the boot is always called in the trade. There is, too, an admixture of men's button boots with drab cloth legs, and of a few red, yellow and russet-coloured slippers, and of children's coloured morocco boots and shoes. Handkerchiefs, sometimes of a gaudy orange pattern, are heaped on a chair. Lace and muslins occupy small stands, or are spread on the ground. Black and drab and straw hats are hung up, or piled one upon another, and kept from falling by means of strings. While, incessantly threading their way through all this intricacy, is a mass of people, some of whose dresses speak of a recent purchase in the lane. I have said little of the shopkeepers of Petticoat Lane, nor is it requisite for the full elucidation of my present subject, which relates more especially to street sale, that I should treat of them otherwise than as being, in a great degree, connected with street trade. They stand in the street, in front of their premises, they trade in the street, they smoke and read the papers in the street, and indeed the greater part of their lives seems passed in the street, for, as I have elsewhere remarked, the Sunday's or Sabbath's recreation to some of them, after synagogue hours, seems to be to stand by their doors looking about them. In the earlier periods of the day, the Jewish Sabbath excepted, when there is no market at all in Petticoat Lane, not even among the Irish and other old clothes people, or a mere nothing of a market, the goods of these shops seem consigned to the care of the wives and female members of the families of the proprietors. The old clothes exchange, like other places known by the name, the Royal Exchange, for example, has its daily season of high change. 
This is in summer from about half past two to five, in winter from two to four o'clock. At those hours, the crockman and the bartering costermonger and the Jew collector have sought the exchange with their respective bargains, and business there and in the whole district is at its fullest tide. Before this hour, the master of the shop or store, the latter may be the more appropriate word, is absent buying, collecting, or transacting any business which requires him to leave home. It is curious to observe how, during this absence, the women, but with most wary eyes to the business, sit in the street carrying on their domestic occupations. Some, with their young children about them, are shelling peas, some are trimming vegetables, some plying their needles. Some of the smaller traders' wives, as well as the street sellers with a pitch, are eating dinners out of basins, laid aside when a customer approaches, and occasionally some may be engaged in what Mrs. Trollope has called, in noticing a similar procedure in the boxes of an American theatre, the most maternal of all offices. The females I saw thus occupied were principally Jewesses, for though those resorting to the old clothes exchange and its concomitant branches may be but one-fourth Jews, more than half of the remainder being Irish people. The householders or shopkeepers of the locality, when capital is needed, are generally Israelites. It must be borne in mind that, in describing Petticoat Lane, I have described it as seen on a fine summer's day, when the business is at its height. Until an hour or two after midday, the district is quiet, and on very rainy days its aspect is sufficiently lamentable, for then it appears actually deserted. Perhaps on a winter Saturday night, as a Jewish Sabbath terminates at sunset, the scene may be the most striking of all. The flaring lights from the uncovered gas, from fat-fed lamps, from the paper-shaded candles, and the many ways in which the poorer street folk throw some illumination over their goods, produce a multiplicity of lights and shadows, which, thrown and blended over the old clothes hanging up along the line of street, cause them to assume mysterious forms, and, if the wind be high, make them, as they are blown to and fro, look more mysterious still. On one of my visits to Petticoat Lane I saw two foreign Jews, from Smyrna I was informed. An old street seller told me he believed it was their first visit to the district, but, new as the scene might be to them, they looked on impassively at all they saw. They wore the handsome and peculiar dresses of their country. A glance was cast after them by the Petticoat Lane people, but that was all. In the Strand they would have attracted considerable attention. Not a few heads would have been turned back to gaze after them, but it seems that only to those who may possibly be customers is any notice paid in Petticoat Lane. Rosemary Lane Rosemary Lane, which has in vain been christened Royal Mint Street, is from half to three-quarters of a mile long, that is, if we include only the portion which runs from the junction of Lemon and Dock Streets, near the London Docks, to Sparrow Corner, where it abuts on the Minories. Beyond the Lemon Street termination of Rosemary Lane, and stretching on into Shadwell, are many streets of a similar character as regards the street and shop supply of articles to the poor. But as the old clothes trade is only occasionally carried on there, I shall here deal with Rosemary Lane proper. This lane partakes of some of the characteristics of Petticoat Lane, but without its so strongly marked peculiarities. Rosemary Lane is wider and airier. The houses on each side are loftier, 
in several parts, and there is an approach to a gin palace, a thing unknown in Petticoat Lane. There is no room for such a structure there. Rosemary Lane, like the quarter I have last described, has its off-streets, into which the traffic stretches. Some of these off-streets are narrower, dirtier, poorer in all respects than Rosemary Lane itself, which indeed can hardly be stigmatised as very dirty. These are Glasshouse Street, Russell Court, Hairbrine Court, Parsons Court, Blue Anchor Yard, one of the poorest places and with a half-built look, Derby Street, Cartwright Street, Peter's Court, Prince's Street, Queen Street, and beyond these and in the direction of the Minories, Rosemary Lane becomes Sharp's Buildings and Sparrow Corner. There are other small non-thoroughfare courts, sometimes called blind alleys, to which no name is attached, but which are very well known to the neighbourhood as Union Court and so on. But as these are not scenes of street traffic, although they may be the abodes of street traffickers, they require no especial notice. The dwellers in the neighbourhood of the off-streets of Rosemary Lane differ from those of Petticoat Lane by the proximity of the former place to the Thames. The lodgings here are occupied by dredgers, ballast-heavers, coal-whippers, watermen, lumpers, and others whose trade is connected with the river, as well as the slop-workers and sweaters working for the minories. The poverty of these workers compels them to lodge wherever the rent of the rooms is the lowest, as a few of the wives of the ballast-heavers and so on are street-sellers in or about Rosemary Lane. The locality is often sought by them. About Petticoat Lane, the off-streets are mostly occupied by the old clothes merchants. In Rosemary Lane is a greater street trade, as regard things placed on the ground for retail sale, and so on, than in Petticoat Lane. For though the traffic in the last-mentioned lane is by far the greatest, it is more connected with the shops and fewer traders whose dealings are strictly those of the street alone resort to it. Rosemary Lane, too, is more Irish. There are some cheap lodging-houses in the courts and so on, to which the poor Irish flock, and as they are very frequently street-sellers, on busy days the quarter abounds with them. At every step you hear the erst tongue, and meet with the Irish physiognomy. Jews and Jewesses are also seen in the street, and they abound in the shops. The street traffic does not begin until about one o'clock, except as regards the vegetable, fish and oyster stalls and so on. But the chief business of this lane, which is as inappropriately as that of Petticoat is suitably named, is in the vending of the articles which have often been thrown aside as refuse, but from which numbers in London ring an existence. One side of the lane is covered with old boots and shoes, old clothes, both men's, women's and children's, new lace for edgings, and a variety of cheap prints and muslins, also new, hats and bonnets, pots and often of the commonest kind, tins, old knives and forks, old scissors, and old metal articles generally. Here and there is a stall of cheap bread or American cheese, or what is announced as American, old glass, different descriptions of second-hand furniture of the smaller size, such as children's chairs, bellows, and so on. Mixed with these, but only very scantily, are a few bright-looking swag-barrows, with china ornaments, toys, and so on. Some of the wares are spread on the ground on wrappers, 
or pieces of matting or carpet, and some, as the pots, are occasionally placed on straw. The cotton prints are often heaped on the ground, where are also ranges or heaps of boots and shoes, and piles of old clothes or hats or umbrellas. Other traders place their goods on stalls or barrows, or over an old chair or clothes horse, and amidst all this motley display the buyers and sellers smoke and shout and doze and bargain and wrangle and eat and drink tea and coffee and sometimes beer. Altogether, Rosemary Lane is more of a street market than is Petticoat Lane. This district, like the one I have first described, is infested with young thieves and vagrants from the neighbouring lodging houses, who may be seen running about, often barefooted, bare-necked and shirtless, but larking one with another, and what may be best understood as full of fun. In what way these lads dispose of their plunder, and how their plunder is in any way connected with the trade of these parts, I shall show in my account of the thieves. One pickpocket told me that there was no person whom he delighted so much to steal from as any petticoat laner with whom he had professional dealings. In Rosemary Lane there is a busy Sunday morning trade. There is a street trade also on the Saturday afternoons, but the greater part of the shops are then closed, and the Jews do not participate in the commerce until after sunset. The two marts I have thus fully described differ from all other street markets, for in these two, second-hand garments and second-hand merchandise generally, although but in a small proportion, are the grand staple of the traffic. At the other street markets, the second-hand commerce is the exception. Of the street sellers of men's second-hand clothes. In the following accounts of street selling, I shall not mix up any account of the retailer's modes of buying, collecting, repairing, or restoring the second-hand garments, otherwise than incidentally. I have already sketched the systems pursued, and more will have to be said concerning them under the head of street buyers. Neither have I thought it necessary, in the further accounts I have collected, to confine myself to the trade carried on in the Petticoat and Rosemary Lane districts. The greater portion relates to those places, but my aim, of course, is to give an account which will show the character of the second-hand trade of the metropolis generally. "'People should remember,' said an intelligent shoemaker, not a street-seller, with whom I had some conversation about cobbling for the streets, that such places as Rosemary Lane have their uses this way, but for them a very poor industrious widow, say with only tuppence or threepence to spare, couldn't get a pair of shoes for her child, whereas now for tuppence or threepence she can get them there, of some sort or other. There's a sort of decency too in wearing shoes, and what's more, sir, for I've bought old coats and other clothes in Rosemary Lane, both for my own wear and my family's, and know something about it, how is a poor creature to get such a decency as a petticoat for a poor little girl, if she'd only a penny, unless there were such places? In the present state of the very poor, it may be that such places as those described have, on the principle that half a loaf is better than no bread, their benefits. But whether the state of things in which an industrious widow, or a host of industrious persons, can spare but a penny for a child's clothing, and nothing perhaps for their own, is one to be lauded in a Christian country, is another question, fraught with grave political and social considerations. 
the man from whom i received the following account of the sale of men's wearing apparel was apparently between thirty and forty years of age his face presented something of the jewish physiognomy but he was a christian he said though he never had time to go to church or chapel and sunday was often a busy day besides a man must live as others in his way lived he had been connected with the sale of old clothes all his life as were his parents so that his existence had been monotonous enough for he had never been more than five miles he thought from whitechapel the neighbourhood where he was born in winter he liked a concert and was fond of a hand at cribbage but he didn't care for the play his goods he sometimes spread on the ground at other times he had a stall or a horse that is clothes horse my customers he said are nearly all working people some of them very poor and with large families for anything i know some of them works with their heads though as well and not their hands for i've noticed that their hands is smallish and seems smoothish and suits a tight sleeve very well i don't know what they are how should i i asks no questions and they'll tell me no fibs to such as them i sell coats mostly indeed very little else they're often very particular about the fit and often asks does it look as if it was made for me sometimes they is seedy very seedy and comes to such as me most likely cause we're cheaper than the shops they don't like to try things on in the street and i can always take a decent customer or one as looks sich in there to try on note pointing to a coffee shop end note bobtailed coats note dress coats end note is far the cheapest i've sold them as low as one shilling but not often at two shilling and three shillings often enough and sometimes as high as five shillings perhaps a three shillings or three shillings sixpence coat goes off as well as any but bobtailed coats is little asked for now i've never had a frock note surtout or frock coat end note as well as i can remember under two shillings sixpence except one that stuck by me a long time and i sold it at last for twenty pence which was tuppence less than what it cost it was only a poor thing in course but it had such a rum-coloured velvet collar that was faded and had had a bit let in and was all sorts of shades and that hindered its selling i fancy velvet collars isn't worn now and i'm glad of it old coats goes better with their own collars note collars of the same cloth as the body of the coat end note for frocks i've got as much as seven shillings sixpence and cheap at it too sir well perhaps note laughing end note at an odd time they wasn't so very cheap but that's all in the way of trade about four shillings sixpence or five shillings is perhaps the ticket that a frock goes off best at it's working people that buys frocks most and often working people's wives or mothers that is as far as i knows they're capital judges as to what'll fit their men and if they satisfy me it's all right i'm always ready to undertake to change it for another if it don't fit oh no i never agree to give back the money if it don't fit in course not that wouldn't be business no sir we're very little troubled with people larking i have had young fellows come half drunk even though it might be sunday morning and say governor what'll you give me to wear that coat for you and show off your cut we don't stand much of their nonsense i don't know what such coves are perhaps turney's journeymen and potboys 
out for a Sunday morning spree. Note, this was said with a bitterness that surprised me in so quiet speaking a man. End note. In greatcoats and cloaks I don't do much, but it's a very good sale when you can offer them well worth the money. I've got ten shillings often for a greatcoat, and higher and lower, oftener lower in course, but ten shillings is about the card for a good thing. It's the like with cloaks. Palatos don't sell well. They're mostly thinner and poorer cloth to begin with at the tailors. Them new-fashioned named things often is so, and so they show when hard-worn. Why, no, sir, they can be done up, certainly. Anything can be touched up. But they get thin, you see, and there's nothing to work upon, as there is in a good cloth greatcoat. You'll excuse me, sir, but I saw you a little bit since take one of them there square books that a man gives away to people coming this way, as if to knock up the second-hand business. But he won't, though. I'll tell you how them slops, if they come more into wear, is sure to injure us. If people gets to wear them low-figured things more and more, as they possibly may, why, where's the second-hand things to come from? I'm not a tailor, but he understands about clothes, and I believe that no person ever saw anything green in my eye. And if you find a slop thing marked a guinea, I don't care what it is, but I'll undertake that you shall get one that'll wear longer, and look better to the very last, second-hand, at less than half the money, plenty less. It was good stuff and good make at first, and hasn't been abused, and that's the reason why it always bangs a slop, because it was good to begin with. Trousers sell pretty well. I sell them cloth ones from sixpence up to four shillings. They're cheaper if they're not cloth, but very seldom less or so low as sixpence. Yes, the cloth ones at that is poor worn things, and little things too. They're not men's, they're youth's or boy's size. Good strong cords goes off very well at one shilling, and one shilling sixpence or higher. Irish bricklayers buys them, and paviers, and such like. It's easy to fit a man with a pair of second-hand trousers. I can tell by his build what'll fit him directly. Tweeds and summer trousers is middling, but washing things sells worse and worse. It's an expense, and expense don't suit my customers, not a bit of it. Waistcoats isn't in no great call. They're often worn very hard under any sort of a tidy coat, for a tidy coat can be buttoned over anything that's sticky, and so, you see, many of them's halfway to the rag shop before they comes to us. Well, I'm sure I can hardly say what sort of people goes most for whiskets. Note, so he pronounced it. End note. If they're light, or there's anything fancy about them, I think it's mothers as makes them up for their sons. What with the strings at the back and such like, it ain't hard to make a whisket fit. They're poor people as buy, certainly, but genteel people buy such things as fancy whiskets, or how do you suppose they'd all be got through? Oh, there's ladies comes here for a bargain, I can tell you, and gentlemen too, and many of them would go through fire for one. Second-hand satins, note, waistcoats, end note, is good still, but they don't fetch the tin they did. I've sold waistcoats from a penny halfpenny to four shillings. Well, it's hard to say what the three halfpennies is made of, all sorts of things. We call them serge. Thruppence is a common price for a little waistcoat. There's no underwaistcoats wanted now, and there's no rolling collars. It was better for us when there was, as there was more stuff to work on. The double-breasted get scarcer too. Fashions grow to be cheap things nowadays. I can't tell you anything about knee-breeches. They don't come into our trade, 
and they're never asked for. Gators is no go either. Liveries isn't a street trade. I fancy all those sorts of things is sent abroad. I don't know where. Perhaps where people doesn't know they was liveries. I wouldn't wear an old livery coat if it was the Queen's for five bob. I don't think wearing one would hinder trade. You may have seen a black man in a fine livery giving away bills of a slop in Holborn. If he was to have such a thing, we'd be pulled up. Note, apprehended, end note, for obstructing. I sells a few children's, note, children's clothes, end note, but only a few, and I can't say so much about them. They sells pretty freely, though, and to very decent people. If they're good, then they're ready for use. If they ain't anything very prime, they can be mended, that is, if they was good to begin with. But children's woolen togs is mostly hard-worn and fit only for the devil. Note, the machine which tears them up for shoddy. End note. I've sold suits, which was tunics and trousers, but no whiskets, for three shilling sixpence when they was tidy. That's a common price. Well, really, I hardly know how much I make every week, far too little I know that. I could no more tell you how many coats I sell in a year, or how many whiskets, than I could tell you how many days was fine and how many wasn't. I can carry all in my head, and so I keeps no accounts. I know exactly what every single thing I sell has cost me. In course, I must know that. I dare say I may clear about twelve shillings bad weeks, and eighteen shillings good weeks, more or less both ways. And there's more bad weeks than good. I have cleared fifty shillings in a good week. And when it's been nothing but fog and wet, I haven't cleared three shillings sixpence. But mine's a better business than common, perhaps. I can't say what others clears, more or less than I does. The profit in this trade, from the best information I could obtain, runs about 50%. End of section 6